Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. We continue through Matthew's Gospel, and we've made it to 22, 15 through 22. So Matthew 22, 15 will be in Matthew 22, 15 this morning. Matthew 22, verses 15 through 22. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his talk. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to give taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. Father, we thank you so much that no one ever spoke like Jesus Christ. That as the wicked try to trap him in his words, he gives this most glorious and perfect answer and saying that almost everyone is heard of. We worship the famous one. You are the famous one, Lord. You are King and Lord and God. And we praise You that someday every knee, either willingly or unwillingly, will bow to You. We praise You, God, that You are worthy of our worship. You're, you're worthy of doing hard things for. You're worthy of making sacrifices for. You're worthy of being uncomfortable for. You're worthy of dying for. Lord, we pray that You would work in us more and more to be the kind of people who will die to self every day and discipline ourselves unto godliness. And that if we are ever called upon to choose between the things of this world or Christ, that we will choose Christ and die if we must. Lord, help us hear what Christ has to say to us today. and Help us to put it into practice. Help us not only be hearers of the Word, but doers of the Word. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Last Sunday, we saw Jesus tell a parable that described what the kingdom of heaven is like, a great wedding feast that the king is giving for his son, and we saw it's going to be a glorious celebration, and trust me, you are going to want to be there. The kingdom of heaven is the greatest wedding celebration that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. Everyone is called, but few are chosen. And so come, come all, and come clothed in the righteousness of Christ and in your good deeds done in Him. That was last week. And Jesus, in uh, Matthew's Gospel, has just got done with these parables condemning the Jewish leaders. And now we're going to see them come after Him. Today, we see the first of various confrontations between Jesus and His enemies, these religious enemies, these church-going, so to speak, enemies. And this first one is about paying taxes to Caesar, the ruler or emperor of the empire at that time. These wicked Jewish leaders try to trap Jesus in His words. They try to trap the Word, capital W, who is with God and the Word who is God in His words. They try to trap the One who created them and all words in His words. They should not do that. 
They should not do that. The point I'm driving home in this sermon is this. You belong to God. So you're free to trust and obey Jesus. Submit to the government and pay your taxes. You belong to God. So you're free to trust and obey Jesus, submit to the government, and pay your taxes. Point number one, the wicked motives of the Pharisees. Look at verses 15 and 18. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his talk. In verse 18, but Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? As I've already stated, Jesus has pounded and pounded and pounded these religious leaders about their evil motives, their evil desires, that they are the ones who are going to kill the Son, that they have rejected the Son, uh, that they have rejected God. And these Pharisees and religious leaders, they realize that Jesus is talking about them and they get angry and try to do the very thing He told them they would do. And so here we see them wickedly plotting how to entangle him in his words. And, and Jesus calls them a people full of malice and asks, Why do you put me to the test, you hypocrites? And that word for test is the same word used of what happened to Jesus in Matthew 4 when he was tested or tempted by the devil. Matthew 4, 1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. It's the same word here. The Pharisees are like little devils. Uh, seeking to test and tempt Jesus. And uh, we, we know that this is true. Satan works through people, and he's out like a lion, seeking whom he, he may devour, 1 Peter 5, 8 says. We, uh, as believers, believe in a devil. We believe in Satan. We believe in his demons. We believe in a spiritual world that is out to get us and destroy our faith. But we know a greater lion. We know a greater lion and we trust in him. And, but we see here these Pharisees are acting, acting the part of wickedness and evil and seeking to test and tempt Jesus. Point number two, the wicked partnership and true flattery of the Pharisees and Herodians. Look at verse 16. And so they plot, they plan, and they sent their disciples to him. They didn't go. They sent their disciples, those whom they're training to be uh, wicked and evil like them, along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. And th This is a wicked and surprising partnership. The Pharisees and the Herodians coming together to partner together because they normally don't get along, but they team up to trap Jesus. This is two groups that, that hate each other, but they're going to get together to try to bring Jesus down. The, the Herodians are those who are, are, you see it in their name, they're loyal to the Herod dynasty, who's loyal to the Roman Empire. And so the Herodians, they, they really want to hear Jesus say, uh, uh, don't pay taxes. Because then they're going to jump on him. Oh, you're a, an insurrectionist. You're uh, uh, not loyal to the empire. And so the Romans then would come and maybe take him. And so the Herodians are hoping through this question that he's going uh, to, to say, don't pay taxes. And so they can get him. The Pharisees, on the other hand, uh, they, they want Jesus to say, pay taxes, because then they're going to get Jesus because, uh, oh, you're, 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 you're submitting to this, 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 this emperor and you should be submitting to God. You're going to pay this tax with a coin that has Caesar on it that calls him a divine son, that calls him August, that, 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 that makes him out to be God, and that's idolatry, and then they hope the people will turn on Jesus for saying, yes, pay taxes because you use a coin that declares Caesar is God. An interesting marriage here for evil between the Pharisees and the Herodians. John MacArthur comments, the Pharisees were the most religious, the Herodians the least religious. The Pharisees were most concerned with the law of God, the Herodians were most concerned with the laws of Rome. The Pharisees were most devoted to Israel, the Herodians were most devoted to Caesar. The Pharisees were intensely religious, the Herodians were intensely political. Essentially, the Pharisees hated the Herodians. And yet, they're going to work together to try to trap 
Jesus. And notice, beloved, the wicked come as angels of light. Notice how they come to Him in verse 16. Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. They, they come with this flattering language. Oh, you're so good. You're so wonderful. You do these wonderful things. You teach the way of God in truth. You, you teach truth and you're not swayed by people. You don't care what other people think about you. You just honor God. Now, what they said is true, but they're saying it for wicked reasons. 1 Corinthians eleven fourteen, Satan dis- disguises himself as an angel of light. Beloved, be, beware. Beware of things that you may at first think are good and right and true. It may be Satan coming as an angel of light. And this is how these disciples of the Pharisees and Herodians come to Jesus But that's not us. We're not to be that way. Beloved, you belong to God. And so you're free to trust and obey Jesus and submit to the government and pay your taxes. Point number three, the wicked question of the Pharisees' disciples and the Herodians. Look at verse 17. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay... And I would, I would translate that like the King James and the New American Standard. Is it lawful to give? I think that's an important difference between the word that they use in verse 17 and the words Jesus, the word Jesus uses when he says render to Caesar. Because the Pharisees, they don't believe they owe Caesar anything. And so they're, they're, they're saying, should we give this to him? I mean, we don't owe him, but should we give this? Should we give taxes to Caesar or not? This tax was imposed by Rome in 6 AD and it was a tax that caused an immediate revolt led by Judas of Galilee. It was a great symbol of Jewish submission to Rome and uh, inscribed on the coin to pay the tax was Tiberius Caesar Augustus the son of the divine Augustus. That's what the inscription said on the coin. Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. So you might see why Jews who believe in only one God might have trouble paying such a tax when the coin used to pay the tax talked about Caesar as being God, the son of God. And it says he's August. Now, I didn't know what this meant until I studied this. Or, or actually, I, I, I think I'd written this down in a prior sermon, but I'd forgotten it because in, in S.M. Lockridge's uh, beautiful uh, description of Jesus, you remember he says he's august, he's unique, he's unparalleled, he's unprecedented. What does august mean? Well, R.C. Sproul comments, the august one is the one of transcendent majesty. It was a term that the Jews would only use for God. And to call any creature august would be an act of idolatry. That's on one side of the coin. On the other side is the inscription, the high priest. The high priest, as if uh, Caesar is the high priest. We have rulers still doing that today, don't we? Rulers who make videos saying he's the shepherd of the people. That's blasphemy. I don't care what side of the political aisle you're on. That is blasphemy for a man to call himself the shepherd of God's people and, and, and do what Caesar did and do things like that. That is wicked. So if Jesus answered yes, pay taxes, then the Pharisees hoped he would lose the support of the people because they'd say, "Ah, oh, you're saying you're saying this is okay to use this money to pay this tax. You're you're saying Caesar's God," and they they would hope the people would then turn on Jesus. But if he said no, don't pay the tax, then the Herodians and the Romans could come after Jesus for insurrection and rebellion against the Roman Empire. 
So they're trying to trap Jesus. And they think they got something. They think they got him here. They think there's no way out of this. We got him. Jesus is dead. No matter how he answers, he's a dead man. We got him. They don't know him, do they? They don't know my king. Well, look at first, first point number four. Look at the brutal honesty of Jesus. Verse 18. But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? <laughs> they were right. He don't care about appearances. He don't care about man's opinion. Jesus tells it like it is. He's honest. He's brutally honest. He's aware of their malice. He knows what they're doing. They can't get one by him. He knows their heart. He knows their thoughts. He knows the intentions, the motives of their heart. He knows their malice. Yes, everything they said about him is true in verse 16. He is the teacher of all teachers. He is true. He is the truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one cometh unto the Father except by Him. He teaches the way of God. He teach, He is the way of God. He teaches the way of God truthfully. You, he does not care about anyone's opinion. He does not care what you think. He does not care what I think. He doesn't care what anybody in the world thinks. He speaks the truth. He lives the truth. He's not swayed by appearances. Uh, he doesn't care what the face of man thinks. They were right about that. Jesus is the most honest, true person who's ever lived. He's the greatest teacher who's ever lived. He does not care about the opinions of men at all, and He's not swayed by the appearance of men. And He is all this for us. For us. Friend, if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, you need to know this about Jesus. He tells you the truth about yourself. And and often we don't like that. He tells you the truth. He tells you the truth that, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have had malice in our hearts toward God. We have flattered God with our speech sometimes, just wanting to get what we really want. We have acted the hypocrite as well. The Bible teaches all of us like the Pharisees, like the Herodians, like their disciples, we've all sinned against God and broken His laws and commandments. And for that, Jesus tells us, and Jesus spoke of hell. If you take all the descriptions and teaching on hell in the Bible and combine it, Jesus taught more about hell than everybody combined. And so He tells the truth because He doesn't care about what men think. He warns us of the wrath to come and because of our sin, we deserve God's wrath in hell. If you're here this morning, if you're online joining us and you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be sent to hell by God forever where there will be weeping and burning and gnashing of teeth. And there will be no end to it. After a billion, trillion, million years, there will be no end. That will be no closer to the end than when you began. That is what we deserve because God is good and righteous and holy. And to sin against an infinite God is to be punished with an infinite punishment. But the good news of the gospel is that God loves sinners. And so He did something to save sinners. He, he sent us Jesus who spoke like this, who taught like this, who called people out, who told the truth. And Jesus lived a perfect life. Jesus never sinned. Jesus honored His Father. Jesus bore the image of God perfectly and without sin. And He died on a Roman cross where He suffered God's wrath and curse. And He was buried. And on the third day He rose from the dead. And He ascended into heaven and rules and reigns so that everyone who turns from their sins and believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. Friend, that's the gospel. And we want everybody to believe that gospel. You must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. You, you can't work for this. You can't earn it. You can't do enough to make God love you and, and, and show favor to you. You can simply cling to Christ alone. Believe on Him. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Would you do that today? 
Would you do that today? I will be here afterwards. There are other Christians here. If you're not a believer, we want to talk to you and help you know and follow Jesus. But if you trust in Him, you belong to God. And so you're free to trust and obey Jesus and submit to the government and pay your taxes. And and we see this in people's lives as as God saves sinners and God fills them with His Spirit. He he changes us so that we want to obey Him. And, And I've seen this and I ask Brother Anthony Austin, if I could share this story with you all about this. Because Anthony, Anthony heard the preaching of the gospel at Broad and Olney and he started coming to church every single Sunday. Even when he worked all night at Burger King, he would be here uh, on Sunday morning. And uh, we, I began to meet with Anthony and, and talk to him about the, the Bible and read the Bible with him. And uh, But Anthony got another job where he was getting money under the table. Cash money. And a lot of people like to get that cash money under the table because then they don't pay taxes on it. And so Anthony and I started to talk about that and we read Jesus' words, give unto Caesar what is Caesar and give unto God what is God's. And we looked at Romans 13 where where the Bible says getting money under the table and not paying taxes is wicked and evil and sinful. (laughs) And at first Anthony was like, no, give them enough. I'm not doing that. But we kept talking about it. We kept looking at the Bible. I kept praying. We kept praying. We kept talking. And uh, we figured out how that you can be uh, uh, file for taxes as a self-employed person and that cash that you get, you can pay taxes on that. Because Anthony wanted to follow Jesus. Amen. And people who follow Jesus pay their taxes. And that's a beautiful testimony of God's Spirit at work in His heart to submit to King Jesus. To submit to King Jesus. We we pay our taxes. That's going to be one of Jesus' points in this text. Well, point number five. Jesus' marvelous question. Look at verses 19 through 21. Jesus said, Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought Him a denarius. Denarius was uh, about a, a, a day worker's day wage at that time. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. So, G- so Jesus says, Show me the coin for the tax. And they pull one out. And He asked them, Whose likeness and inscription? Right? The picture... And what's inscribed, what's written, which we've already gone over. Caesar's on it. They tell him that. The inscription talks about Caesar being the divine son, who's August. What a question. What a question. Beloved, as one has said in John 7, 46, no one ever spoke like this man. Behold the wisdom and the beauty and the power and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. You can't get anything past Him. This is an amazing question that is going to reveal so many things about the askers of the question and the truth of God. Point number six, Jesus' marvelous command. So they answer, Caesar's on it. Verse 21, Then He said to them, Therefore render, and that word means repay, you owe or pay him back what is already his. That's the, the, the freight of that word. Repay him. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. This is one of Jesus' most famous sayings. Ligon Duncan comments that in, in, in these few words, in this one answer, Jesus does at least four things. Number one, He aims at these people's hearts. Because the big issue here is not, not paying taxes. The big issue is these wicked people trying to trap Him who aren't giving to God what belongs to God. That's the bigger issue here. So He aims at their hearts. Number two, He silences the Pharisees. Give unto God what is God's. He silences the Herodians. Give unto Caesar what is Caesar's. 
And he gives this command for all time of how we are to relate to God and the government as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Since the coins bear the image of Caesar, and since everything belongs to God, Jesus commands these Jews to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. The last statement of this command in verse 21 is the basis of the first statement of this command. The last statement is, render to God the things that are God's. Well, what belongs to God? Everything. Everything belongs to God. Psalm 50, verses 10 through 12. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all the moves uh, in the field is mine. All that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, would I not tell you? Uh, would not I tell you? For the world and its fullness are mine. Everything is God's. And since everything belongs to God, since all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to God, and since God has ordained governing authorities like Caesar and given them authority, then you should submit to them and pay taxes. That's what Jesus means when He says, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. That's our king. We pay our taxes if we're going to follow Jesus. But God is the supreme authority. And He and He alone is to be worshipped. He alone must have our supreme allegiance. And so give unto God what is God's. Turn with me to Romans 13. We're going to look at Romans 13 and we're going to look at 1 Peter 2. And I, and I, I, want, I want you to hear, I want you to realize who, who God the Holy Spirit is commanding this to originally. These were Christians in Rome, the Roman Empire. So some people say, well, if it's a tyrannical government, we don't have to obey them. If it's a righteous government, then we don't have to obey them. Friend, think about the Roman Empire. Think about the Roman government. How much more wicked can you get? They are responsible for the most wicked deed that has ever been committed in the history of the world, the crucifixion of the Son of God. It's to this wicked, evil, oppressive, tyrannical government that God Almighty, our King, says, pay your taxes and obey them. Keep that in mind as we read this. This is a wicked government. So much more wicked than our government. Romans 13, 1-7 Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God is appointing. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who has, is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger, who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For the same reason, you also pay taxes. Pay taxes to the very authorities that would crucify the Son of God, by the way. For the same reason, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. There it is. Maybe you want to read that over again this afternoon. Maybe you want to read it tonight in family worship with your children. But this is what Jesus is saying. Uh, government is a gift from God. Government is a gift from God. 
people complain about taxes, but if you took away all the stuff your taxes paid for, you'd start whining. Your trash would start piling up and it'd stink in your backyard. You wouldn't have any roads to drive on to get here to church. And the list goes on of the things that Caesar does for you with your tax money. And that Caesar did for the Jews. So government is a gift from God. Government is a gift. And governments are to be ministers to, to God's servants to punish evil and to reward Good and, and the Bible says if we resist those governing authorities, then we're not only resisting those authorities, we're resisting God and we'll be judged. Peter speaks of this, inspired by the Holy Spirit in 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17. 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Beloved, Jesus is teaching us here. Paul is teaching us here. Uh, Peter is teaching us here. The Holy Spirit is te teaching us here that we're to be good citizens. We're to obey the laws. We're to submit uh, to authorities. Uh, that, that's how we're to live as Christians in the world. And Mark Dever writes, if Christians can support Rome, what government could they not support? This is the government that killed Jesus Christ and almost all of the apostles. And here Jesus is telling them, pay for it. Pay that tax that's going to pay the salary of the very men who are about to drive the nails into my hands. Beloved, just let, let that settle on you. Pay the salary of the soldiers who are about to drive the nails into my hands. That's what Jesus is saying here. Not because what they are doing is right, but because government reflects the character of God. God will deal with them. And so we take the posture of 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Friend, if you're a member of our church, this is uh, what you've already signed on to. <laughs> our Confession of Faith, New Hampshire Confession, uh, uh, paragraph 16 says this, We believe that civil government is of divine appointment for the interests and good order of human society, and that magistrates to be prayed for, conscientiously honored and obeyed, except only in things opposed to the will of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the only Lord of the conscience and the prince of the kings of the earth. And that leads me to something else we should think about. When must we disobey governing authorities? When must we obey governing authorities? You should disobey authorities when they command you to sin against God. You, you should disobey governing authorities. You should disobey any authority. <laughs> Whether it's a governing authority, children, if it's your parents, wives, if it's your husbands, parishioners, if it's your pastor or elders, workers, if it's your boss, you don't obey any of those authorities if they tell you to do something God forbids. And I hope you heard that in our confession of faith. Right? Since God owns all things, we must obey God rather than men. And that's why the confession ends with that accept clause. We obey except only in things opposed to the will of our Lord Jesus Christ 
who is the only Lord of the conscience and the prince of the kings of the earth. And so when the apostles were commanded not to say anything about Jesus, and people talk about their closed countries where you can't evangelize. No, they're not. They don't exist for Christians. Oh, that's illegal. No, it's not. Not for Christians. <laughs> there are no closed countries for Christians. There's nothing illegal for Christians to do when it comes to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't ever talk that way. <laughs> what, what, what did the apostles say when, when, when they were told to quit speaking about Jesus? Acts 5.29, we must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. And we see this kind of uh, uh, rejection of human authority because we must follow God all over the Bible. Remember uh, when Pharaoh wanted the Hebrew midwives, right, to do away with the male children? No, <laughs> they didn't. They didn't kill Moses. Remember when uh, Daniel uh, heard the instruction not to pray to his God? And what did he do? As, he, as was his custom, three times a day with the window open, he bowed and prayed to his God and was thrown into the lion's den. And God protected him. What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego again in Daniel? In the book of Daniel. Commanded to bow down and worship this false god? No. O king, we will not do this. Our God will deliver us. And even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down to your idol. And they threw him in the fiery furnace. Made it seven times hotter and threw him in. And they didn't burn up. And there was a fourth man in the fire like one of the son of the gods. Wonder who that was. The Lord Jesus Christ with His people. Because give unto God what is, render unto God what is God's. So we say no. And many people, God hasn't protected when they've said no. Like Daniel, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they've lost their heads and died for the sake of Christ. And that's what we do as Christians. That's what it means to follow Jesus. We pay our taxes and we never do anything that God forbids no matter who commands us to do it. Let's think about this command, render to God the things that are God's. Remember, Jesus asked about whose image is on the coin. Caesar's. Beloved, where is God's image? Where is God's image? God's image is preeminently on His Son, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1.3, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. These wicked leaders should give themselves to Jesus. God's image is on you and on every human being in this world. There is a sense in which everyone in this world, Christian and non-Christian, belongs to God because all people are made in God's image. Are you seeing the connection here? Whose image is on the coin? Caesar's. Give unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Give unto God's what is God's. Where's God's image? You. You. There is a sense in which everyone in this world, Christian and non-Christian, belongs to God because all people are made in God's image. Genesis 1.23 So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. You and everyone in this world belongs to God. And so Jesus is instructing us here, give yourself to God. This is what the Pharisees needed to hear more than anything. Give yourself to God. Give yourself to Him. You were made for God. And, and thirdly, God's image is being formed in you as a believer. You are being conformed in the image of Jesus Christ. There, there is a sense in which you as a follower of Christ belong to God in a special and redemptive way. For example... 
1 Corinthians 6, 15-20. The Holy Spirit uses this in the Apostle Paul's words to teach us uh, about sexual immorality. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Dear Christian believer, you belong to God. He bought you. He owns you. Everything you have is His. This is comforting. On Friday, uh, on January 19th, uh, 1563, the Heidelberg Catechism was published, and I love the, the first question and answer. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my Heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by His Holy Spirit, He also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for Him. That's how they used to raise little kids. Memorizing that. Amen. Let's go back to the old days. And remember, Jesus not only asked whose image, but who the inscription. Beloved, what has God inscribed on us? Jeremiah 31, 33, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. God has written His law upon your heart. Your image, His image is on you as one created in His image. And His image is on you as a redeemed sinner being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. You belong to God. Just two applications from this truth. Number one, everything you are and have belongs to God. Your mind. What you think about. What you put into your mind. The books you read. The movies you watch. The things you meditate on belong to God. Your eyes belong to God. What you look at. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Your eyes and what they look at, what they take in belong to God. Your body, as we've seen in 1 Corinthians 6, what you do with your body belongs to God. Your words. Every idle word will be taken into account on the day of judgment. Social media is going to get a lot of people in trouble. Be careful what you tweet. Be careful what you write. Every little word is going to be taken into account on the day of judgment. It all belongs to God. Your gifts and talents belong to God to be used for His glory. Your money. Your possessions. He, God just doesn't own 10%. He owns everything you have. Everything is God's. To be used in a way that pleases Him. Your hopes, your dreams belong to God. Your marriage and your children belong to God. Your singleness belongs to God. Your relationships, they belong to God. Everything you have belongs to Him. Have you had that talk with Him? Some of you may need to have that talk with Him today. Lord, I've been holding on to this as if it's mine. 
as if I have to have this, as if I can't live without this. And you need to give it to God. Lord, you own this. This is yours to do with it how you please, how you want to do with it, God. Lord, everything I have is yours. Lord, my life is a blank check before you. Write what you want. I belong to you, God. Take it all. Show me how to live for you. We, some of us need to die to things in our lives. We need to die to stuff that we might be free and live for God as some of the old missionaries would pack their belongings in a coffin and go to never come back. John Bunyan said this, if I ever would suffer rightly, I must first pass a sentence of death upon everything that can be properly called a thing of this life. Even to reckon myself, my wife, my children, my health, my enjoyment, and all as dead to me, and myself as dead to them. The second was to live upon God that is invisible. Beloved, everything you have and are belongs to God. Jesus is teaching us in those words, render to God what is God's. Another point I want to make about this, focusing in on the fact that you belong to God is that, beloved, only God can satisfy your desires for joy, happiness, and fulfillment. Only God. You belong to God. You were made for God. And therefore, only God can satisfy your desires for joy, happiness, and fulfillment. If I ask you this question, why do you want to go to heaven? Why do you want to go to heaven? What, what would you say? What was that hymn? 173? I, I love this. I think God put this together. This hymn, that last line of 173, find our heaven of heavens in thee. Why do you want to go to heaven? Well, uh, I don't want to go to hell. Well, I want to be happy. I want to be happy in heaven. Well, that's what God wants for me. I go to church and the Bible always saying, you got you go, I want to go to heaven. I guess I should go to heaven. I want to go to heaven. Why do you want to go to heaven? Is it because you imagine all the wonderful things you have on earth and you just think, yep, I'm, I'm going to have those in heaven. I'm going to have my football team's always going to win. It's going to be exciting in heaven. Uh, you know, there's going to be golf in heaven. There's going to be my, my favorite foods in heaven. Uh, there's going to be all these amazing experiences in heaven. I want to go to heaven. Why do you want to go to heaven? Well, the Bible says I should want to go to heaven. So I want to go to heaven. If the only reason that you trust in Christ is so that you won't go to hell, you probably aren't really trusting in Christ. You don't have to be born again in order not to want to go to hell. Nobody wants to go to hell. It doesn't take anything supernatural to happen in somebody's life not to want to go to hell. I mean, who wants to suffer and burn alive forever? <laughs> Why do you want to go to heaven? John Piper writes, as people who think this way, I don't want to go to hell, and so I'm coming to you, Jesus. I hear that you can get me out of hell. Please don't let me suffer forever. I don't want to go to hell. Save me from hell. Well, no demon wants to be in hell. Nobody wants to be in hell. You don't have to be regenerate or born again in order to have the desire not to want to go to hell. There's nothing holy or godly about not wanting to go to hell and be unhappy forever. Nobody wants to go to hell. What is the answer of the true Christian of why do you want to go to heaven? The deeper, more fundamental desire of the truly born-again Christian is not merely to escape hell, but a desire for God Himself. We want Christ to come back because we want Christ above all. We don't want to go to hell because God will not be experienced there in His love and mercy, but only in His anger and judgment. We don't want to just escape the punishment of hell. We want the presence of Christ. Friend, is that your desire? Is that your desire? Again, John Piper writes, the critical question for our generation and for every generation is this, if you could have heaven with no sickness, 
And with all the friends you ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked and all the leisure activities you've ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw and all the physical pleasures that you ever tasted and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? The true believer will cry out from the depths of their heart, no, never. I want Christ above all. Again, listen to Piper. Justification is not an end in itself. Neither is the forgiveness of sins or the imputation of righteousness. Neither is escape from hell or entrance into heaven or freedom from disease or liberation from bondage or eternal life or justice or mercy or the beauties of a pain-free world. None of these facets of the gospel diamond is the chief good or highest goal of the gospel. Only one thing is seeing and savoring God Himself being changed in the image of His Son so that more and more we delight in and display God's infinite beauty and worth. 1 Peter 3.18 says, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. That's the point of forgiveness. Who cares about forgiveness? Who cares about justification? Who cares about adoption unless it brings us to God? All those bring us to God. Beloved, do you want God more than anything else? That's what it means to be born again. You will. If you're truly born again, you will want God more than anything. That's just what it means to be a Christian. Jesus died to bring you to God. We want God, not His gifts, above all. This is the tragedy of the prosperity gospel. Come to Jesus and He'll give you money. Come to Jesus and He'll give you cars. Come to Jesus and He'll fill your bank accounts. Come to Jesus and He'll give you all these idols that the world loves. This is the testimony of the saints throughout history that we want God. They, they delight in God Himself, not merely in His gifts, but in God. Augustine said to God, You have made us for Yourself. O oh Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in You. Render to God the things that are God's. We belong to God. God has made us for Himself. Marriage is not going to satisfy you. Whether you're in a good marriage or a bad marriage, you're single and not married, marriage will not satisfy you. You were made for God. If you long for children and don't have them, children will not satisfy you. Only God will. That next better job will not satisfy you. Only God will. More money will not satisfy you. Only God will. Let Solomon be an example. In the book of Ecclesiastes, he had all the women he wanted. All the wives he wanted. A thousand of them. Gold and silver out the nose. Every pleasure he could have, he did not withhold from himself. And get what did he say about it? Poof. Like the wind, like vapor, vanity, empty. Calvin, John Calvin said, unless they establish their complete happiness in Him, God, they will never give themselves truly and sincerely to Him. Psalm 16.2, I say to the Lord, You are my Lord, I have no good apart from You. Psalm 16.11, In Your presence there is fullness of joy, and at Your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 37.4, Delight Yourself in the Lord, and He will give You the desires of Your heart. Psalm 73.25, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing upon earth I desire besides you. Habakkuk 3, 17-18 Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herds in the stall, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. In other words, you take away all the gifts of God. Right in a, in, in, in a culture like that, agriculture, a cattle, take away everything, I'll rejoice in God. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Philippians 3, 7-8 through 8, But whatever gain I had, Paul wrote, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as scubalon. Rubbish, dung. In order that I may gain Christ. Last week I talked about eating dung. That's what sin is like. It's like eating dog poop. That's what sin is like. It ought to turn your stomach. Paul says it's like dumb compared to Christ. 
Beloved, hell is going to be so horrific that you want to escape it at any cost. And heaven, because God is there, is going to be so glorious and amazing that you want to enter in at any cost. Sam Storms, while describing Jonathan Edwards' view of heaven, gave this wonderful description. Edwards often talked about what we won't see in heaven. Praise God for this. In Revelation 21.4, we are told there will be no tears of grief, no death or sorrow or pain. In verse 8 of chapter 21, we are assured by John that no one who is cowardly, lying, or unbelieving will be present. No murderers or anything abominable, immoral, or idolatrous. And again, in Revelation 21.27, he says nothing that is unclean will be allowed to enter there. People, think of the implications of what is being said. When we get to heaven, there will be, said Edwards, nothing which shall offend the most delicate eye. In other words, nothing that is abrasive, irritating, agitating, or hurtful. Nothing harmful, hateful, unsettling, or unkind. Nothing sad, bad, or mad, harsh, impatient, ungrateful, or unworthy. Nothing weak or sick, or broken or foolish. Nothing deformed, degenerate, depraved, or disgusting. Nothing polluted, pathetic, poor, or putrid. Nothing dark, dismal, dismaying, or degrading. Nothing blameworthy, blemished, blasphemous, or blighted. Nothing faulty, faithless, frail, or fading. Nothing grotesque or grievous, hideous or insidious. Nothing illicit or illegal, lascivious or lustful. Nothing marred or mutilated, misaligned or misinformed. Nothing nasty or naughty, offensive or odious. Nothing rancid or rude, soiled or spoiled, tawdry or tainted, tasteless or tempting, nothing vile or vicious, wasteful or wanton. None of it. And all of this for hell-deserving sinners like you and me. What will we see there? Wherever you turn your eyes, you see nothing but glory and grandeur and beauty and brightness and purity and perfection and splendor and satisfaction and sweetness and salvation and majesty. We'll only see and all that is adorable and affectionate and beautiful and bright and brilliant and bountiful and delightful and delicious and delectable and dazzling and elegant and exciting and fascinating and fruitful and glorious and grand and gracious and good and happy and holy and healthy and whole and joyful and jubilant and lovely and luscious and majestic and marvelous, opulent and overwhelming, radiant and resplendent, splendor, splendid and sublime, sweet and savory, tender and tasteful, euphoric and unified. And why? Because we'll be looking at the face of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Beloved, you belong to God. That's your future. That's what you have to look forward to. In just a little bit of time, just a little bit of time, we're all going to be there. A hundred years and all of us will be there. Even, Even Malachi. Maybe 120 years. We're all going to be there. Short time. We're going to see Him. Beloved, you belong to God. So you're free. You're free to trust in Jesus and obey Jesus and submit to the government and pay your taxes. And then finally, point seven, we see the Pharisees' dreadful choice. Look at verse 22. When they heard it, they marveled and they left Him and went away. Beloved, all marveling at Jesus is not good. I mean, you might expect this to say they they were amazed. They marveled. They, They were amazed at Jesus' words. There's nobody like Him. No one more beautiful. And so they followed Him. No. That's not what happened. That's not what happened. They marveled. that They thought they had Him. They thought they had the perfect question to bring him down, and he stunned them. We knew we had him. We knew either the people or the Romans were going to get him. It was the end of him. We were certain. Boom, he says something that just blows them away. No man ever spoke like this man, and they marvel. How? How did he get out of that one? Beloved, let this be a reminder to us that you can have the best teacher who's ever lived and the greatest teaching and the most amazing words in front of you and still walk away and go to hell. Jesus is the greatest teacher who ever lived. He gave them the greatest teaching that has ever been. And yet, if the Spirit of God does not work in the hearts of sinners...
they will walk, they'll marvel and walk away and try another way to kill him. Pray for the Spirit to work. Pray for the Spirit to work in your lives as you read the Word this year, as you memorize Romans 8, as you come here on Sundays, as you tune in on Wednesday nights, as you go to Bible studies, as you study the Bible on your own, pray for the Holy Spirit to uh, uh, open your eyes to see wonderful things in His Word. Pray for me as I preach that God would give me the words to speak. Pray and prepare yourself on Saturday night. Get enough sleep. On Saturday night, prepare yourself to come and hear from God and pray that God would work, that we'll see everything He wants us to see. And we do all this looking unto Jesus, looking unto Jesus, which is where we'll end today, in Jesus' sufferings and death on that cross. Beloved, Jesus allowed His image to be utterly defaced. Isaiah 52 says he was marred beyond human recognition. And he did all that so that you might be perfectly conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Jesus on that cross allowed himself to be totally owned and ridiculed and spit upon and made fun of and humiliated and tortured and slaughtered by Caesar. And he bore God's wrath so that you could be owned and adopted and loved and accepted, and cared for, and rejoiced over by the God of the universe, and be absolutely free forever to enjoy fullness of joy in His presence and pleasures forevermore at His right hand. And Jesus rose from the dead, confirming all these things to us. Jesus owns all things. Bold truth He brings. And Caesar bows to the King of kings. Jesus reigns over everything supreme. He's the king who rules over every regime. He above all deserves highest esteem. He shed his blood, a pure healing stream, and rose from the grave our lives to redeem. In his father's eyes, he's the brightest gleam. By faith in him, you can share this gleam. Forgiven and righteous and all you don't seem, he saves the worst of sinners extreme. Of the greatest story ever told, he's the theme of themes. So bow to him now as your joy supreme. The devil tries our Christ to trap. False teachers flatter with their yap. The question they hope will soon unwrap. All his success and planning snap. He'll take and all their evil scrap. Their plans he stops. So now we rap. His answer causes us to clap. He put this sentence on the map. Our Christ no one will ever trap. We give to Caesar what we owe. God gave to him to rule below. Authority did God bestow on kings and rulers high and low. For through this rule, God's blessings grow. Even if man's rule below, God's good commandments out they throw. Against this rule will come God's woe, for He will punish every foe. And soon someday, though time seems slow, justice like waters down will flow. Amen. And righteousness, or all he'll sow. For Christ did die once long ago. Upon himself he took God's woe that you deserve, who were God's foe. He died to make you clean like snow, then rose alive, death's sting forgo. Now o'er all death he shouts a no. And on your life, Mercies bestow. God bought you. Now you are His own. His image on yourself is shown. He ripped right out your heart of stone and makes you more like Christ full grown. You owe Him all you've ever known. All this since Christ was overthrown. He let Caesar Himself to own and died upon the cross alone. For all our sins He did atone and rose to rule upon His throne. So look to Him and bow down prone and find in Him delights unknown. Christ Jesus reigns and you belong to Him alone. So don't prolong your death to self, but come along to Him who died and rose up strong. He bore God's wrath for all your wrong, redeems from all need to Hong Kong. So now salvation is your song. To Him your life, your all, belong. 
You'll pay your taxes full, lifelong. Submit to Caesars who do wrong, for He's your joy and your song, your marvel who can do no wrong. Ah, oh, beloved, because we have Him, because we belong to Him, because we belong to God, we're free to trust and obey Jesus, submit to the government, and pay our taxes for the glory of God. Father, we thank You for Jesus. We thank You for His love for us. We thank You, Jesus, for buying us for God. Thank You that we are Your slaves, O God, that You own us. And therefore, we're free to live radically for You. Lord, remind us today. Remind us today that everything we have, everything we own belongs to You. Lord, remind us today that, that since we belong to You, Lord, You're the only one who can satisfy our souls. Lord, open our eyes to, to, to people and things and stuff and hopes and dreams that we are hoping in to find the joy and satisfaction and fullness and fulfillment that we can only find in You. Father, if there's anyone here today or online that has just been wanting to escape hell, Lord, we pray that today they would be saved, that today they would be born again, and that we would all together find You to be our greatest joy and treasure and delight, that we would desire You and live for You and submit to government when they give lawful orders and pay our taxes. Father, we do pray for the government in which we live. We pray that You would bring revival. We pray that You would save politicians, that You would cause them to fear You. Lord, we want our tax dollars to be used in righteous ways. We pray that You would save this wicked government we have. We pray for revival. We pray for salvation. Help us to be faithful to pray for rulers and authorities. We pray for the President, the Vice President, the Congress, the Senate. We pray for the mayor of Philadelphia, Sherelle Parker. We pray for the governor of Pennsylvania. We pray You would save them if they're not saved, that You would fill them with Your Spirit, that You would cause them to give unto Caesar what is Caesar's and to give unto God what is God's. To render unto You, O God, what belongs to You. And so do that, Father, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.